Hi, I'm Johanna Ferreira, content director of Pop Sugar Juntos. Juntos is all about celebrating Latin A culture, pride, our many intersectional identities, and joy. Thanks to support from Prime, there's so much to get into over at Juntos this month. From conversations with the Latin A minds behind our favorite new movies and resurrected TV shows, to thoughtful celebrity commentary, and exclusive interviews with some of the biggest Latin music artists today. And it doesn't stop there. Get more of the music, movies, and shopping you love on Prime. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com slash Prime to get more of whatever you're into from streaming to shopping. And get all of our latest coverage at PopSugar.com slash Juntos. Con amor, Johanna. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's Insight Assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Welcome to In Her Shoes. I'm Lindsay Peoples, and I'm Editor-in-Chief of The Cut. On this show, I get to talk to people that we love and admire, or some that we just find interesting. We'll explore how they found their path and what maybe have gotten in their way, and how they brought others along now that they've arrived. Adi Cornish is a journalism vet whose voice was our North Star on NPR's All Things Considered for 10 years. After being a public radio girl for most of her career, she's embarking on a new journey. She's now hosting a weekly podcast on CNN called The Assignment with Adi Cornish. We got to talk to her about leaving NPR, her career in public radio, and of course what it's like starting something new. Well, because the show is called In Her Shoes, I have to start by asking what shoes are you wearing or what are your favorite pair of shoes? Ooh, my favorite pair of shoes. I was seeing if they're in my office. <laughs> well, it's hard because sometimes now people are just at home not wearing shoes. So then I have to ask, like, what are your favorites then? Yeah, yeah. No, I, um, I'll i show them. This is the first pair of Jimmy Choo shoes that I ever bought. I didn't think I was a shoe person. And I was like, what's the fuss about? What I like about these is they're brown suede and it's kind of like a skin tone matching, which you know is not that easy. And then in the back, you can see there's like some wood here. It's solid. So you can walk, I've walked in these and stood in these in all kinds of places. And you can see, I, I actually have a lot of shoes at home and only a handful in my office at work. And since I came to TV, one of the things I learned is like, guess what? They can't always see your shoes. There's no point. But I still like them. So <laughs> I have them here with me. So yeah, it's funny. If you had seen me on the street and said, do you have a favorite pair of shoes? I'd be like, no. Um, <laughs> but they're obviously here. They're always with me. And it's been a bunch of years. I love that. Um, I mean, you've obviously been in the industry for almost 20 years now. When you were younger, did you always know that you want to do this? Did you think about at all being a journalist? and Or was there something that made you want to even pursue this career track? You know, I started when I was 19, 
And which isn't that unusual. I think lots of people who are in media might have worked at their high school paper or been that kind of kid. I wasn't that kind of kid. But when I was in college, uh, I got interested in journalism thanks to a professor. His name was Nicholas McBride. This was at the University of Massachusetts. Um, And then I did my first story for radio, for audio specifically. And I found a flyer on the ground in the student center that said, like, come out for the radio department, WMUA. And I pick up the flyer and basically have like a meet cute with the guy who was putting up the flyers. We were friends. There was never anything that cute about the meet cute. (laughs) Um, But he was like, come on in. And he was a guy who had been in the army and done journalism in the army. And here he was a student now with undergrads. And he introduced me to radio and to journalism. Mm. And we went out and did a story, like just sort of following, uh, it was at a speech for someone, Ward Connerly, who I think has passed away. He was an anti-affirmative action activist at the time. And he was visiting our campus and it caused a big stir and you know, this person just took me under their wing and was like, we're going to cover this, you know, like, let's interview some students. And then we're going to walk all the way to the front of the room and like, talk to this guy and we're gonna bring this tape back. And it was just such a lovely way to be introduced to something, Mm -hmm. you know, the sort of thrill and joy and chase of it. And I think I've been chasing that high ever since. That's beautiful. I feel like so much of it, though, is also when people get into journalism by chance or just wanting to, you know, um, go after their passion and the love of storytelling. Often, though, you really it takes so much time to to find your voice and to find your beat and, and where you really feel like you fit in. And you've talked a lot about, you know, experiencing imposter syndrome and how that's like affected your career. Some of what I've read is when you said like when you turned 40, that things kind of shifted in your mind and that some of that melted away. But what was that along the way? And and was there a moment where you felt like you started to belong or understood along the way as well? It's very easy to feel like you don't belong in these industries where the social network And I don't mean the modern day internet version of that, but the social network is so deeply embedded. And in journalism, that is very true. You know, going to certain schools, going to grad school, going to journalism school, going to certain journalism schools, all those things, they, to me, they can kind of ease your path, right? I'm not saying those people didn't work hard, but they make the path a lot easier. And so I didn't have any of the secret handshakes. You know, I went to a school, um, UMass Amherst, that wasn't a big name in journalism. And then I didn't go to journalism school afterwards. And I didn't have money to intern somewhere for free for years and years. Yeah, I couldn't go to New York. I couldn't live in New York. To this day, I feel like New York is the one that got away. Like I feel that way, the way some people feel about a lover. Like I couldn't (laughs) make it there. Yeah. uh, Because I was paying for school and then I was paying my debt when I got out of school. And then I wanted to work. I love the journalism and I wanted to do the work and I didn't want to be anywhere else learning about the work. Mm -hmm. So I think if you don't know the secret handshakes, you're always going to feel like an imposter. Mm -hmm. And so it's not that there's something intrinsic to being a woman of color, you know, or someone working class 
in a newsroom. It, it's not, there's nothing wrong with us. Yeah. But it's like not getting into those clubs is meaningful. And it has ripple effects because then later on when you're in the lunchroom and people are talking about where they summer or the house that they stayed in mm-hmm. or, you know, um, socialize together because they feel more comfortable with each other because they have a shared language you can just find yourself feeling boxed out and real or imagined that can take a toll Mm -hmm. and there's been more acknowledgement in recent years about what kind of toll that can take can i ask you a question Lindsay? oh yeah of course (laughs) so have you ever felt that way like that's women's magazines in a nutshell like that world of magazine media just seems so dependent on being part of a social class and a social set. Yeah. I mean, I think I still feel like a fish out of water. I feel like it's my purpose and what I'm supposed to be doing. But I think that the way that I come about even wanting to tell certain stories is the way that it is because I didn't grow up around media people or in this kind of environment. I grew up in the Midwest. I grew up in Wisconsin. Um, I always had to work multiple jobs and hustle. I never had enough money to live here. Like it was always a struggle and was made worse by a lot of the the magazines that I've worked at had a really huge fashion presence. And so that makes it even worse when you don't have money because then you can't afford to live here and you also can't afford to like look the part. And that's part of a social currency, definitely at a a fashion magazine. Oh, I thought that was just in the devil wears Prada. You're saying that's a real thing. Oh no, that's definitely a real thing. Yeah. They never showed her buying the clothes there, right? She just went (laughs) to the magical closet and stole the clothes. Did you, you, there's no magical closet. (laughs) No, no, no. Um, I mean, I, I think the fashion closets are like a wonderful place, but they're not magical in that sense. That becomes part of your currency to be able to talk with other people and, and then, you know, take you seriously in a certain way. Like I, I remember I was always really having a hard time with it because I would outwork anyone. Like I was always like, I can outwork anyone any day. That's no problem for me. But there are certain things that aren't dependent upon you actually working hard and, and knowing what you're talking about and knowing what you can bring to the table. And it does, you know, still feel like in fashion specifically, um, a lot of that can feel like out of your reach and out of your grasp of, of how your career can actually play out because it does end up being a little bit of how people perceive you to be. And it's funny, there's like a catch 22 there because you're working hard and you're trying to outwork everyone. Yeah. And then weirdly people start to see you as just like, you know, that thing about black women being the mule you know, of the world, like you just end up doing work and people just end up being like, yeah, okay, that's what you do. You know, yeah. like you're going to carry this office. You're going to do, you're going to do this heavy lifting because whatever, I guess you're into it, but you're not right. like a star. You don't have it. <laughs> yeah, um, you, yeah. And I think that's such an interesting dynamic where you try and you try and follow what you're being told is the system. It's on yeah. merit. And you yeah. start trying to outwork everyone. And, but then at a certain point, you just feel like, well, wait a second. <laughs> like now I'm working super hard. I'm burnt out. And you're, not, you're still not looking at me in the way um, I, you're looking at that other person who you're seeing as a mm-hmm. star. It's nice that we can talk about it now. Do you know what I yeah. mean? I think yeah. that if you come up like Gen X, I consider myself... The tail end of Gen X, despite those who try and push me into elder millennial status. Um, For sure, we were like, yes, you just got to keep, you got to put your head down and work. And that's all it is. I feel like the new generation is like, is it though? Or are there some barriers here that we're not talking about? 
Yeah, I mean, there. I think it's a little bit of both. I think it is work hard for sure, but I think the barriers are still there. And I wanted to know if you've ever compared yourself to other people, whether it be other hosts or other journalists. All the time, every minute. Last to this night. day, still, do you still compare? Oh my god, I'm in an I'm in a WhatsApp group of other hosts. Oh so we god. we like get in and talk about our shows. We're like, how's this going? How's this going? How's that going? And then as soon as I get out of the group, I'm like, oh my god, they're doing amazing. And what am I doing with my life? What do you compare? Like, is it about viewership and numbers, or is it about getting a better story? Like, what do you compare? How much time do you have? No, I don't know. I mean, that's the that's the thing, right? When you mess around with your self-esteem, it, it's a feature, not a bug. There's always going to be something. Mm-hmm. I, I have a friend who he's my best friend in the world. And he has always told me that he only looks forward and up. And in my dark moments, that's what I try and do. Yeah. Because as he has pointed out, if you're looking side to side, it's a recipe for disaster. If you're looking down, it's a recipe for disaster. I should say his name. His name's Eric Gillen. <laughs> He's in the magazine world over at Condé Nast. Yeah. And uh, it really has helped me in some moments where I'm spinning out about how other people are doing it. Am I doing enough? Am I doing well? You're only as good as your last story. Maybe you're mm-hmm. not good at all then. What does that mean? Like, you know, your brain can just do it, do all of that. So it helps to say, okay, let's stop upward and onward. For sure. For sure. I mean, you hosted All Things Considered, though, for 10 years. What was in your head about, you know, wanting to really close that chapter, but then also just stepping away and wanting to start a new journey? I started that job when I, I don't know, I feel like I was 28, 29, you know, like it's, it's sort of funny to be getting any attention now because when I got the job, there was not a peep said about it. <laughs> I did it for 10 years. No one said a word. So I was, you know, thinking I was going to leave and no one was going to say a word. Like that mm-hmm. was pretty much the position. And, you know, when you start out the youngest person in the room, A, you're not going to stay that way. But what it means is that for a time, you're kind of always in someone's shadow. But there's always a more senior person. There's always yeah. a more advanced person. There's always that person with more experience. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's it's hard it's hard to get out you become one of those house plants that's sort of like leaning towards the sun and i think that like everyone when the pandemic came and i was home with my kids and i was doing my work i started to say okay am i accomplishing the things i wanted to is there more to accomplish mm-hmm. what would that look like are there more skills to learn? That's a huge thing for me in any job. Is is it more money or more benefits or a better time schedule? That kind of stuff, right? Mm-hmm. The stuff we need to live. And then there's like, will I learn anything? Right. And that's so huge. I just feel like if you wake up in the morning and if you know how to do the job, it's probably too late. And I wanted to try something that scared me. Yeah. And someone put it in front of me, you know, said like, Hey, what would you, what would you think of this? And I thought, well, I feel like I can do that part. Maybe can do that part. I have no idea how to do that other part. All of it feels like a risk and maybe it's time to take that risk. 
You also left at a time that a lot of other, you know, prominent journalists and hosts of color were kind of switching it up. Were there behind the scenes talks or were you privy to any conversations as far as people just wanting something different or wanting more out of the platforms that they had? Yeah, I mean, we talk and we're friends. And when I first even became a host at NPR, I remember saying to myself, like, I really want to be friends with people. Like I really want to have relationships with people because number one, these were going to be my mentors, right? I had no other thing in common with them. Mm-hmm. And so I needed to find a commonality. The commonality was work and craft. And so that's something I also advise people sometimes. It's like, if you're waiting for your mentor who looks just like you to show up, that may not be what happens. You totally. may be the mentor on your way, (laughs) right? Like, um, you may have to be that person for someone else. That is one of the unfortunate byproducts of how Black Americans have been treated in our our culture in particular, is like, you may be the first, second, third, fifth, whatever it is. Yeah. And we all talked all the time. You know, what parts of the job are working? What parts of the job are not working? Or when does a story feel good to cover? You know, what's your best day like? What's your worst day like? I think sometimes people get caught up in the little itty bitty parts of their work. But I think having a career means you can take a holistic view of what you do. That's one of the, to me, privileges of having a career versus having a job is that with a career, you're not saying to yourself, oh my God, I'm never going to work again if this particular job isn't working. You're saying to yourself holistically, is this the right match for me in the right moment? Yeah. I love that. What do you, what in those conversations though, what, you know, what have you felt like, and especially in being in the industry so long, um, I feel like people often ask me like, what do I think needs to change in media or in fashion? And there's a (laughs) very long list. Don't you hate that? I know, but I, but But, I am. No, but seriously, like like, we're not the gatekeepers, but we get asked these questions. It's like, I don't know, ask my boss. Like it seems (laughs) sort of, but we do, and we do it to each other. You know, I I actually stopped at a certain point. Like you're doing an interview with someone who is some person of color or LGBT or somewhere. And you're like, why is this X, Y, and Z? It's like, well, I don't know. I didn't do it. I just got here. You know, you're like the Morgan Freeman president character in a disaster movie. Like I, what? We're asking me now? So I would say both of us can take that burden off our shoulders because we're not going to solve these things. But I try to be present for people who want that guidance. And I Mm -hmm. think that's why when I exited and when people talked about it, I didn't say like, that's not me. You know what I mean? Like I've had a fine time in my career. It was like, yeah, there are difficulties and there are people speaking about it. And I'm going to use this time to turn the spotlight to them. Yeah. So that they can be heard, you know, and I think there's a lot of talk these days about platforming, but that's what it means sometimes, right? It means that you actually step out of the spotlight yourself and shine it on other people. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity but giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate 
in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Eurovision is here. This year's contest gets underway this week in Malmö, Sweden, but this year's contest comes with a dose of controversy. I'll give you one guess as to what people are mad about. Yes, correct. It's that. Organizers of the Eurovision Song Contest say they are assessing whether Israel's entry breaks the rules on political neutrality. I think it's a shame. I think there's no way that, that Israel should be able to participate Pro-Palestinian protesters are taking to the Swedish streets. More than a thousand Swedish artists, including Robin, have called for an Israel ban. Some European politicians are joining them. Charlie Harding from Switched On Pop joins us this week on Today Explained to help us figure out if Europe can sing its way out of this situation. So let's talk about the assignment. What can people expect? What are you excited about? Um, what what made it so scary to you to embark on this new journey? Well, first of all, I think I'm I'm getting to do a lot more editing. I'm getting to do a lot more supervising of the process than I'm mm-hmm. used to. You know, in the past, I was always being the anchor um, and the journalist, but not the editor, not the executive editor, none of that. And so I think having the opportunity to get my hands dirty in that way and to exercise new skills has been awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, because I didn't think I had been in the business so long until people started to be like, what, what was it like in the early aughts? You know? And I was like, Oh, okay. I guess I have been in this for a minute. Uh, you know, the smartphones only been around since 2008, like podcasts haven't been around that long, but in podcast years, I'm about 90. Uh, so I have a lot to impart and it's been interesting feeling like you're in a startup environment, even though you're at a legacy news organization. I've mm-hmm. never had that experience because, you know, I kind of stayed in the place where I was an intern for a long time and that has its own pluses and minuses. The assignment is a show that is focused on people who are not famous, <laughs> but people who are in the middle of stories that are infamous. Mm-hmm. So, There are so many things, and just to fangirl for a moment, I think In Her Shoes and The Cut is so good at having finger on the zeitgeist and just being like, this is what people are talking about, and this is how they're talking about it, and this is the debate that's happening. And it's always so smart. And I remember I, you know, as a reader, I was like, oh, is is there something in my world that I could be doing that does the same thing? And so it's a it's very kind of similar in a way to what you're doing in that we're trying to find people who are at the center of the story, people who are like living the story and just being like, what's your group chat like? 
Yeah. You know, like you, books are being banned. Okay, you're the librarian. What now? Like right. we're all fighting about it on the feed, but you actually have to buy some books or pull yeah, some yeah. books from the shelf. Like yeah. what is what is your day like at the end of that brutal day? We're trying to find and talk to people who are experiencing those things. Mm-hmm. Who are experiencing the debate, who are not just like kind of doing a hot take. And it's a huge risk because obviously every podcast is like, here's a pop singer or a famous person and here's what they do and get them to talk freely. Right. The flip side is celebrities are now talking to each other and they don't need interviewers. Yeah. <laughs> like they can sit, talk with each other. The questions can be hard, but not too hard. And then you get final cut when it's over. Right. I can't compete with that, nor do I want to. And I think those kinds of interviews are a kind of entertainment. Mm-hmm. And a lot of my colleagues do those kind of interviews, and I think they're awesome, and I'm jealous. And then what I found is that I often felt a kinship and often felt like, oh my gosh, I have so many questions for the stranger who is doing something right. that I want to know more about. It's sort of that conversation you have, like when you meet someone at, at an airport bar or something mm-hmm. and you say, what do you do? What do you do? Wait, you do that? That's weird. I heard that that job does X, Y, and Z. Is that true? And then the person goes, well, but not the way people think. It's that kind of conversation. Yeah. Just the way I like, I, I have 50 questions for you now. <laughs> Fashion girl. <laughs> I mean, I think it's very similar at all media jobs, I think, think have like a, a persona of what people think it is. And then behind the scenes, it's very different. So exactly, exactly. Yeah. And I think there's a world of that. I remember for a while, there was this kind of game on social media, it was like the X starter kit. And it would be little images of <laughs> yeah. things. And it would sort of make up what people perceive your job to be. Mm-hmm. And I like the idea of breaking down each other's silos. I like the idea of, of you know, I would love to do an episode about fashion and what's happened in women's magazines yeah. post the awakening, as I call it, trademarked gum. <laughs> um, you know, I think that there have been not so subtle changes and to those newsrooms. And I would love to have two people in a room, you know, you and someone else. That's the kind of show it would be where we'd say, okay. What happened? When did it happen? When did you feel a shift? How has the job changed? Are there some things better, some things harder? Can you be a mentor? And by the way, this person who was the gatekeeper, they're not the gatekeeper anymore. How's that changed the gig? Yeah. I feel like you can do that with a lot of people and a lot of topics. Yeah. I mean, how is how is podcasting, I guess, different for you in, in the sense that it's obviously different than radio, but how is it different in practice? And I think, how do you also, when you're talking about there's so many other podcasts um, out there doing, you know, celebrity or different genres, how do you, you know, stay focused on what you really want to do? Number one, I think it's great that there's this enormous pod ecosystem, because when I got into audio, people would say, like, oh, why are you doing that? Like, who's going to do radio? Like, it just felt very integrated. You should be doing a blog. So I'm happy that this big world exists. I think that I really wanted to focus on what mattered to me as a journalist. And I think that that is different from being a person who is a podcaster for fun, 
or an actor who's getting into podcasting or a comedian who's getting into podcasting. Right. We're motivated by different things. Um, and, you know, I'm motivated by a love of inquiry, a love of ideas. I love this moment we're in. We're essay writers and pop culture critics. It's very blurry, that line. Mm-hmm. And it means that we're bringing a real richness of discussion to even things that seem small and in the past might have just seemed kind of frivolous, you know, some TV show or whatever. Yeah. Um, I think a great example would be, you know, this conversation about LGBT characters on TV shows and how they are often essentially killed off by writers and how that the same trope will appear in shows over and over and over again. You have this character and you celebrate this character and then they die. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the fact that there is now this kind of robust dialogue where people have a voice and a platform to say, hey, we notice what you're doing. <laughs> we don't right. like it. Here's how it's like connected to other kinds of erasure. Um, that's so huge. You know, that's so wonderful and such a great dialogue to be in. Yeah. And I wanted to do something that does that, you know, that like taps into that. Because we're all critics now. Like we're, we all have that capability of jumping onto a platform and bringing a new point of view. People are very divided on this stance overall in media, but it often feels like, especially with the rise of social media, that you have to kind of have your own personal brand and kind of put yourself out there personally, as well as, you know, having your job running, running a show, all of that. Um, And you've been one to kind of reject having to, you know, share so much and, and, you know, be, I think, vocal about having your own personal brand. How does that, you know, come to life? And what is that dance like when you have your own show, but also just like want to have something to yourself still? It's hard. I spend a lot of time trying not to have my face on things <laughs> or uh I yeah, I'm I'm reluctant in that way. Not because I am trying to hide anything, but because I just keep wanting to push other people into the light because I'm fascinated in them. Mm-hmm. Like I'm into you, Lindsay. Like I'm now going to be like I have a friend who told me <laughs> You can visit the fashion closet, but you can't leave anything with it. Another thing she said, and another thing. And by the way, you know, like one of the things I learned at NPR, I learned from Susan Stamberg, who had been the longtime host of All Things Considered, um, especially in its early years and also Weekend Edition. And she said, you know, the reason why we're called hosts and not anchors is because like we are bringing people together the same way like a host at a party. Like you bring people together and you say, oh, have you spoken to this person? And by the way, he does this for a living. And, you know, what's interesting is we were just talking about this movie. You're like the ringmaster in a way. Mm -hmm. Um, And this is not to knock being an anchor, like that the gravitas of that is important. But it really helped me understand a different way of doing that job. And that there was still journalism in that, right? Of drawing people out. Yeah drawing conversation and ideas out and helping to manage and move the conversation forward and um, bring more people into the discussion. It really does feel like a service when it's done well. Mm -hmm. And I sometimes think when it's done well, you don't, you remember the host, but you don't like the host wasn't the whole thing of it. 
Like to me, the highest compliment is I meet someone on the street and they say, oh my gosh, I love you. And this interview you did with so-and-so was so amazing. And then when they said X, Y, and Z, I was blown away. That's when I have done my job. When you've taken away something from the conversation and that something didn't necessarily come from me. Yeah. So what stories would you say you're looking forward to telling? What stories do you feel like you are ready to expire and leave in the past and you don't want to do them anymore? (laughs) I'd like to say politics where we're heading into midterms and uh, the election. It's not going to (laughs) happen. I've never gotten away from it. I would say what I'm interested in doing is more things that are um, what I would call at the intersection of different conversations. So I like politics and culture, right? a culture of campaigns. I like the business of sports, not just sports. You know, I like the, I like to read about the movie business, not just the creative part of it. And I like to hear about feminism and politics. Like Mm -hmm. I actually think that's how most of us are taking in the news and and synthesizing the news in this moment that we're all mixing up things in the feed But on the news side of things, we're still mired in the beat system. It's like these reporters talk about this. These reporters talk about that. These reporters talk about this. This is your news hour or half hour. These are the segments. And to me, I'm looking forward in the podcast space to mixing that up, you know, to really making it feel like that dialogue that you are already having with your friends in your group chat, or when you send each other TikToks, and some of those TikToks are about student debt legislation, and some of those TikToks are about the slap. Right. Like, to you guys, it's all news, right? It's all news and culture. Um, But I think that we could do better on the journalism side of uh, showing how those things intersect. I'm so looking forward to the show and congratulations on everything. Well, good. Then when I call you to be like, bring a friend, we're doing our fashion episode. <laughs> I will, of course, writing <laughs> the battlefields. Uh, Lindsay in the magic closet is what we're going to call it. Um, that's my. I love it. I love it. Well, thank you again for doing this. I so appreciate it. No, of course. It was awesome talking with you. It was great. In Her Shoes is hosted by me, Lindsay Peoples. Our producer and editor for this episode is Taka Zen. Our engineer is Brandon McFarlane, and our executive producer is Hannah Rosen. The Cut is made possible by the excellent team at New York Magazine. Subscribe today at thecut.com slash subscribe. I'm Lindsay Peoples, and thank you so much for listening. <laughs>